Psychology Nerds, and welcome to Psychology and Stuff, the podcast out of Phoenix Studios at the University of Wisconsin, Green Bay. I'm Ryan Martin, one of the hosts of Psychology and Stuff, and I'm here, as always, with my co-host, my friend, the brilliant, funny, the kind chair of the UW-Green Bay Psychology Program, Dr. Georgina Wilson-Dengis. How's it going, G? Wow, that was quite the, uh, the, the intro there. So thanks for that shout out. Wow, um, things are going really well. Um, it is, we are recording this in, um, in January, so like the, uh, the beginning of the spring semester. And also at UW-Green Bay, we are a site for uh, vaccination distribution. And so I am reminded daily when on campus that um, there is hope for the future when I see people uh, going in and getting their vaccines. And so uh, it's been a, a good month. So I am excited um, to launch our new, uh, our new podcast season. So how are things going with you, Ryan? They're going really well. I have had a, uh, a really good, um, I had a really good holiday season. I missed you though. Uh, I missed being here and, and talking to you. That was, uh, so I'm glad, um, uh, I'm, I'm glad to be back doing this. Um, you know, the world is weird right now, uh, to, to quote, uh, Chuck, my boss, in a recent podcast we did with <laughs> someone, he said, the world is weird. And you know what? It really is. Uh, so, um, but uh, at the same time, there's lots of things to be happy about and excited about. And, uh, and this is one of them. So I'm glad to be here, even though my son had a nightmare in the middle of the night and I got up and I'm exhausted. And um, uh, so, you know, that part was a little bit of a drag. Yep. Yeah. But he's fine. Yes. And the world is fine. And so I'm hoping that you've had enough caffeine to make it through this episode, but we will hopefully uh, have so many awesome questions for you uh, that <clears throat> will go well. Awesome. All cool. Right. So I'm going to have you do the intro, right? It's, oh, wait, no, we got to introduce Kelsey. We got We have a Thank new you. intern this semester. I'm so, so, so excited. <laughs> so. I'm just here. It's fine. <laughs> Excellent. So yes, we have a brand new intern. I'm really excited. Kelsey Engelhart has joined us this year um, or this semester uh, for the podcast. Kelsey, tell the world about yourself. Hi world. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, my name is Kelsey. This is uh, the first podcast I've ever been a part of. I'm super, super stoked about it. I think we're gonna give you some really awesome content and our hosts are phenomenal. So you just gotta watch, obviously. Um, and don't worry, I'll be in the background so you don't have to see my face. It's fine. Um, but other than that, I mean, I'm a psych major at UWGB, and I'm also uh, studying to become a high school teacher as well as potentially graduate school for counseling. So I'm really honored to be a part of this, but I hope you guys enjoy today and the rest of our episodes this season. Yeah, Kelsey is amazing, and we're so excited to have her here. And you can see a lot of her handiwork by following us at Psych and Stuff on Instagram, on Twitter, Facebook. Um, really, really good stuff. So thank you for that, Kelsey. Awesome. Well, welcome, Kelsey. We are excited. Uh, so today, I get the unique pleasure of like flipping the tables, and this time I get to interview my um, fabulous co-host Ryan Martin uh, about his recent book that just dropped a, a couple of weeks ago. Um, the book is called Why We Get Mad, How to Use Your Anger for Positive Change. And uh, so I'm, I'm so excited. Uh, I've attended a, a couple of um, uh, other um, venues where you've been talking about the book and uh, you did a, a reading at a local independent bookstore uh, as well. And so there's been a lot of um, hype about the book and I'm excited to talk to you about it today. Um, so if you don't know, uh, Ryan is actually the Associate Dean of the College of Arts, Humanities, and Social Sciences here at UW-Green Bay, but also a professor in the psychology department. He chaired the psychology department for, I don't know, like a decade almost. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and he has been studying emotion, but particularly anger, 
uh, is his specialty. And, and so I'm excited to talk about the book. So welcome, Ryan. Thank podcast. you very much for having me. This is really fun to, to be, I've gotten to be a guest on this show one other time when um, uh, actually Samuel Fieser and some other students interviewed me about anger. So this doesn't get to happen very often. This is cool. Well, I am excited that it's happening. So I have, um, I, I read the book cover to cover once, like whole the way through, and then I've been rereading it uh, again. Uh, there's so much uh, to learn from you from this book. Uh, and I would also give a shout out to your TED Talk uh, as well, um, which is also a great way um, to follow up and, and learn about that. And so we'll give you some info about that later in this podcast. But my first question to you is, um, what, what really inspired you to write a book about mm -hmm. anger? That's a yeah, I get. The, I've been thinking about that a lot over the last few months. And actually, I, I, I mentioned something about this on social media a while ago. And it's sort of, it's sort of funny because um, I, I saw a tweet from someone who said, "Why does one write a book?" And somebody responded with, "I'm pretty sure it's for the money." And I thought it was funny because that, I mean if there's money there, that's nice, but that wasn't ever the thing that motivated me. And I've been wanting to do this for a very long time. In fact, um, our, our good friend and regular guest, Regan Garong mentioned to me recently, said, I remember when you started at GB in one of our first meetings, you talking about wanting to do this. And, and so, you know, some of it is, um, I think ultimately the, the conclusion I came to is that I, I wanted to for the same reason I love teaching, which is, um, I like, I, I feel like anger is misunderstood. Um, I think people don't really have a great sense of what it is. Um, and I like talking with people about that. I like helping them understand it. Um, uh, I like, um, you know, one of, the, one of the things that's missing from writing versus teaching is the, the two-way interaction, right? When you, when you communicate with people that way, uh, like this is more one directional. And so that part is, a, you know, not the same as teaching, but I, I do as a teacher really love hearing people's sort of anger stories and their examples and getting their input into things. And so I think this is just sort of born out of a lot of the, the same reason I like doing the podcast. It's like, I like talking with people about things. I like hearing from people. Um, I think one of the joys for me in doing this has actually been the the, the social media piece where people can respond and tell me what they think. Um, I like hearing people's thoughts about what's in the book or, or not. So if, you, if you're reading it and you wanna share ideas with me or thoughts with me, please do. I love, love, love that kind of feedback. Um, it, it just, it, I find it makes this job just much, much more rich in that sense. Absolutely. And I think from our uh, collection of pet peeves that we've been doing from social media uh, over the last few days, I, I think anger is something that we all can relate to, to um, as, a, as a topic. And I feel like people really responded to that social media call for pet peeves that we'll talk about later in the podcast. But um, tell me a little bit more about anger. Like I I think anger is a complicated emotion. Would you agree? And like, why, why is it so complicated? Yeah, I mean, I think there's, I think it's complicated for a lot of different reasons. And it's complicated in a lot of different ways. Um, and so one of the ways that it's complicated is that it is, I think, really associated with a lot of negative outcomes. Um, when people think about anger, they usually think about the bad things that come from anger, the relationship problems, the, the physical and verbal fights, the, the damaged property, um, all of that stuff, the, the online outbursts and so on. And so I think for that reason, um, it, it's, it's complicated for people. And I think for a lot of people, it feels they're, they're ashamed and embarrassed about some of those things. I, um, I actually one time as part of a little research project, uh, Chuck Ryback, who is the dean right now, but at the time was a professor in English, we went to Lambeau Field on game day and we walked around and we asked people to tell us their sports anger stories and um, tons of people. I mean, and 
um, and we recorded them. And um, the really interesting thing that happened is that people really didn't want to admit or share their own stories. Uh, they didn't like telling us about their anger, but they were very quick to throw some friend under the bus. Um, and so they were very quick to say, well, this guy, you got to talk to him. I once watched him rip his shirt right off his body. You know, um, um, we, we talked to a, <laughs> we, we talked to a police officer who said, um, you know, after, after games where they lose, that they see more tickets, they see more problematic behavior when, when the Packers lose. Um, we, we talked to a, a woman who said her husband um, gets so upset while watching the games at home that their kids are scared of him kind of during the game and, and keep their distance. But so it was really this really interesting thing where people were re very reluctant to say, well, no, I, I get mad but then very, very willing to point out the other examples that they see. And so it's like, they know it's happening, but they don't necessarily want to, to admit it themselves. I think that's one of the reasons it's complicated. The other thing um, is, is the fact that anger, more so than I think many other emotions, tends to be a social emotion. We feel it in relationships. Uh, we yeah. feel it in interact, not just relationships, but interactions with others, right? So. Um, that sort of um, that sort of anger that we it, it means that it's inevitably going to cause sort of rifts and relationships, cause some potential damage, and so forth. And I think that that's definitely true. Like when I think of examples, it's almost always in a, a social kind of way. Mm -hmm. And I also think that um, there's some like secondary emotions that happen as you are feeling anger, but also after you're feeling anger. Um, do you think that that's, that that's true? Like I'm, I'm thinking specifically about guilt. You're like, like as you're being angry, you're like, oh man, I'm gonna regret this kind of like those kinds of emotions. Do you think that that's true? Yeah, I, I think um, one, of the, one of the more common and, and maybe insidious consequences of anger is, um, are some of the other emotional problems that can come from it. And, but when you ask people, they recognize this. So when you ask people who, who have had anger problems or experienced maladaptive anger, you know, what are some of the common consequences? They'll, they'll bring up um, sadness, anxiety, um, some other sort of physiological activity, you know, things that, you, that aren't emotions, but are probably related to emotions like overeating, um, drinking too much, things like that. Um, so they'll identify those things uh, when they happen. And I think some of it, it, it comes from a couple different places, uh, I think. Um, one of them is, um, I think because anger has this negative connotation, because when we engage in, when we're angry, we sometimes engage in bad behaviors or do harmful things, then we become scared that we're gonna get in trouble for those things. Um, you know, we get scared that, or, or we feel sad that we lost control and that we hurt someone. Um, you know, a lot of the client that's still, that I mentioned him in the book, but the, the client that still really tugs at my heartstrings was this, this guy who, um, he, he had anger problems. He admitted he had anger problems. He was trying to get help for them. Um, he would have these angry outbursts where he treated his girlfriend not very well um, and was was not physically abusive, but I think certainly it was emotionally abusive to her. And what was so interesting is that he, he felt horrible, horrible afterwards. And I know for many that is a pattern of abuse and I, I, that's not lost on me at all. But what was really interesting was to see this guy who most of the world might think of as a monster um, and who certainly was doing these really kind of ugly, bad things, sitting in my office, just sobbing because he didn't want to be that way. And saying, I don't want to be a tyrant was the quote that I really remember. I don't want to be, and you know, this guy was raised by an angry dad. He himself had, he felt like his dad was a tyrant and he didn't want to be that. And this different, like his inability to, to stop himself in the moment, even though he, he knew he didn't want to be that way. Um, and so, you know, that for him, the sadness and guilt and 
all these neg other negative emotions were coming up that seemed to be resulting from his inability to control his anger. There's a, a question in the chat that uh, asks, like when thinking about the negative connotations mm -hmm. of anger, is this strictly something like in Western society or do you think that this is um, a, a more universal? Uh, yeah, that is a great, great question. And, and one that I, I can admit I don't have the answer to off the top of my head, but I will say um, that um, I, I think that one of the one of the things that makes anger complicated to go back to that question as I you know this is that there's so many different ways to express it. And what you do see when you look at some cross-cultural um, uh, research on anger is that um, how you choose to express it varies quite a bit by culture, the appropriateness or what we call the display rules uh, associated with, with anger, meaning what are the rules, cultural rules, quote unquote, around uh, the expression of, of the emotion. And we see that, you know, in, in some more kind of hierarchical cultures, um, it's, it's considered better to uh, suppress your anger and attempt to sort of keep the peace a little bit. But then it also depends who you are in that hierarchy, right? And who you are talking to in that hierarchy. And so in those ways, uh, culture matters as far as how uh, and, and those negative connotations matter that way. Absolutely. I was... Um... I was thinking also about um, in in the book you talk about you have a, a a question. What does my anger tell me about me? And you also uh, on social media recently posted something like um, how hungry you are or um, how tired you are can impact your ability um, maybe to follow display rules of, uh, of anger or to manage your anger in, in, a, mm -hmm. in, a, in a positive way. And so I, I wonder uh, about those kinds of things. I was thinking of the word hangry, like, oh, I'm so hangry when you're hungry and angry at the same time. So um, what does anger tell us about us and sort of mm -hmm. other things going on? Yeah. So to, one of the things I, I encourage people to do is to, um, this is uh, an activity I've been doing in my classes for um, well, over a decade now, and it's to what I call diagram an angry incident, right? And it's sort of similar to the idea of, you know, something I am actually unable to do anymore, but it's to diagram a sentence. And, and so the idea is, okay, we're going to take this angry incident and we're going to think about what are the, what are the, the provocations uh, what's the thing that that sparked it? Um, what was my mood state before uh, that spark? Um, what are the the types of thoughts I'm having in that moment? How did I evaluate that provocation? And then how am I feeling? And what did I do? And sort of map out. And we can really, I mean, situations are going to ultimately be more complicated than that. But we can map out situations based on on that sort of idea. We can diagram them. And what I I like to do. Um, when you do this over time, uh, over lots of types of incidents that you experience, you start to identify uh, patterns. You start to recognize, you know, this hunger is coming up a lot for me, right? I, um, or sleep deprivation is coming up a lot for me. For me, actually, I mean, so those weren't really for me, but this one is for me, is that when I'm feeling time pressed, so this, this is, I am the most relaxed driver around 99% of the time, if I am either running late for something or more likely than that, if I feel like I'm a little too low on gas, I start to lose my mind, right? I start to think that I'm going to run out of gas, that, um, you know, every obstacle stops being just like a, like every red light, every car that's driving a little too slow stops being a thing that is like a, just a minor hassle and starts being the reason why I'm going to be stuck on the side of the road um, without any gas. And so I think, um, you know, that, that recognizing that about ourselves, recognizing these sorts of patterns over time allows us to take steps to address that stuff, right? And says, you know what? I just got to make sure that I, I eat healthier foods. I got to make sure that I exercise more. I've got to make sure that I get enough sleep or that I don't find myself in too many situations where I'm pressed for time. Um, that, and I mean, quite literally, 
I just don't let myself get too low on gas anymore because I don't really like that about myself. I don't like feeling that way and I don't want to deal with it. And I think there's also, when you were talking about anger being like a, a relational um, mm-hmm. kind of emotion, um, thinking about when you get angry with other people, when those other things are happening and is that mm-hmm. maybe you try and avoid that person when mm-hmm. you are in that state right. <laughs> or something yep. like that. Um, yeah. So this is not an example from the book, but it's something that I just wrote about recently for, for elsewhere. And, um, you know, I used to, well, back pre-pandemic when I took my children to school every morning, um, one of the things that I, I, I had a hard time with is on days where I had where I felt like I had a lot to do, I would get a little snippy with them as we were going out to the car in the morning. Just felt like they were taking too long. Felt like it was, um, and um, it was, that part was, it was kind of upsetting to me that I, as I started thinking about this, thinking like, this isn't how you want to be. You don't, I don't want to be a tyrant either, right? And, and, um, and it just sort of started the day off on the wrong foot and I didn't like it. And I started thinking about, once I noticed that pattern, I started thinking about some different things. And one is like make, actually making an effort while they're putting their shoes on and stuff to sort of be in another room and, and be, be doing my own thing so that I'm not right there sort of hovering over them and getting frustrated that they're taking longer than I want them to. But the other part was just recognizing how taking a moment to realize, you know what, this is, like worst case scenario, this is like a, a three minute delay, right? This is not a big thing. And, and at, on some level, and this comes back to that understanding piece, you have to decide you value your relationship with your children more than you de- value those three minutes. You know, that, that that's just a decision you have to make and, and or a decision I chose to make. And that it, it just... Once I started realizing oof, by reacting this way, what I'm really saying is that I value that my time more than my relationship with them. I, it, that I realized that's not how I want to be. And it, it was about understanding myself in a, in a different way and, and wanting to move and be different than that. I was, we, you and I have been having a conversation about kids and emotions because I, I was thinking <laughs> back um, my, my son, who's like a grown person now, but uh, when he was little, um, he used to love reading this book by Mercer Mayer called I Was So Mad. And um, he he said it like he would read along with that book and be like, I was so mad. And he would have this like angry voice when he would say it. Uh, and I wondered to myself, like, how do kids learn about anger as an emotion or what do they learn about anger as as an emotion um, and uh, is that good or bad? Right so it it comes from a a billion different places right what what kids learn about feelings and and this is where ultimately those display rules we mentioned earlier come from Uh, you know it's we we pick them up from our caregivers um, from our peers from our teachers, you know, that sort of the, the appropriate way to, um, to express any emotion. Um, and, you know, the, probably the most obvious example of that is, is going to be crying when you're sad, right? And so, or just crying more generally, right? So infants, you don't see gender difference, differences in infants and crying, right? There's no difference between, between newborns' cries based on gender. Those differences emerge over time and as far as the frequency, and it's, it's coming from the, the display rules that are in, in the messages uh, boys and girls get about the appropriateness of crying. Overt messages and then sort of covert messages, right? The, the ones we get in from media and, and elsewhere. Um, and the same is true for anger, right? So the appropriateness of, of um, yelling, the appropriateness of, of hitting, the appropriateness, all of those things are messages we get sometimes overtly from our caregivers where, we're, where we are told whether or not it's okay to hit or not hit. Um, but sometimes, oftentimes just through modeling, right? It's the, the messages we get based on, you know, I notice this is how my dad handles his anger. This is how my mom handles her anger. Um, you know, and so those messages that we get um, and what 
you know, just through modeling um, some of our, some of our, the people we watch on, on the TV athletes in particular, I think are a place where uh, we might see a lot of this. Um, and so all of those things sort of feed into where we learn those display rules and the appropriateness of them. I am particularly fascinated though. And I, so I, I told you earlier, I, I am familiar with that book. We have it. Um, it was never a childhood favorite of either of my kids. So I haven't read it as many times. Um, but, but books are really, really, kids' books are a really interesting source of learning those emotion rules. Um, um, and I realize that the listeners at home can't tell that I'm, I'm doing air quotes when I say rules because they aren't, they aren't written down. But, um, but those the books like that send a message about, and in, in, in very formal ways, but also even like the voice inflection and things like that, that we choose to use when we read it to them um, is part of where they're picking up on, okay, so when you're mad, you growl a little bit, right? Yeah, <laughs> you know, that those are our messages they're hearing. And, and in that book in particular, um, it's all in capitals. Uh, every time the, the character, the critter says, I was so mad, it's all in capitals with exclamation points. And so I think kids learn that it's a loud, emotion yeah. um, and you know, for, for a culture that doesn't love talking about emotion very much one of the things that's really interesting is how much we have sort of baked it into children's literature I mean at a very I mean some of the earliest books you get for kids are those emotion books right it's, it's pictures of faces with an emotional word um, underneath, and I'm going to admit that sometimes I quibble with whether or not those are emotions, but, um, <laughs> but, but, you know, that's the, that's the, the nature of a lot of those early books is about teaching kids about feelings. So um, one last question, and I think we were, are going to transition to our pet peeves uh, segment, but um, the, the book is, uh, like subtitled, How to Use Your Anger for Positive Change. Mm -hmm. And I don't often think about anger as a positive change uh, emotion. So tell me a, a bit about that part of the book and mm -hmm. um, how we can use anger as a, a positive thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the way of I, I like to think about this is that when it, and this isn't just true of, of anger, it's true of all, um, all emotions in that they provide us with a, an evolutionary advantage. That's the reason they exist. And, and this is not new. Darwin wrote about this, right? One of his, one of his early books is, uh, is about the expression of emotion in man and animals, right? For, apologize for the sexist language. Um, but he, uh, you know, where, where, he talked about this very, very thing and the, the evolutionary advantage that emotions provide. And so when you think about feelings like sadness, right? sadness, even though it feels awful to us, one of the things it does is it alerts us to loss and it motivates us to replace that loss. So as, as human beings, we benefit very much by being part of a group, something I think we have all noticed over the course of the pandemic, right? We benefit, um, and, and that was even more true of our ancestors because the group provided uh, resources that we couldn't necessarily get or have on our own. And so if you lost someone, if you were grieving essentially, you needed to, to have, be able to identify and, and replace that loss. And so that's what sadness does. Um, fear is very obvious, it's benefit, it, it alerts us to danger and it energizes us to flee. Um, you know, when we're scared of something, that's because that something can probably hurt us. Um, and anger is, is the same way, it, it alerts us to injustice and then it energizes us to confront that injustice. It says, you have not been treated well and here is the energy you need to, to fight back. Now, evolutionarily speaking, fighting back usually meant physically um, and, and that is, typically not considered adaptive or constructive in the, in the modern sense, but, it, it, um, but, but we can still use that energy and channel that energy into positive things. There are things we can do when we're feeling angry um, that we can channel uh, into positive things. And so um, I will use the example, I'm not gonna go into specifics, but I was livid last night, livid over um, uh, some things that are happening politically, locally uh, in Green Bay here. And, um, and 
you know, that, that anger, that frustration I was feeling um, is part of it is one of the ways my brain lets me know, hey, things are bad. It's also motivating me to do something. And so at some point today, I've got letters to write to or emails to write to, um, to particular elected officials and, and others to try and, and, and make some change. We see tons of productive examples of this. We sometimes just don't think of the way that anger is motivating it, right? So the flipping of the Georgia uh, Senate seats, right? There was anger at the core of that that led to the movement that led to that, right? So there's all sorts of examples where we just don't necessarily think of anger, but I think a lot of times that's because we are thinking of anger as, um, uh, we're conflating it with violence. We're thinking that anger means aggression, it means hostility, but it doesn't have to mean those things. It can mean other sorts of positive pro-social behaviors. And if you are confronted with injustice that makes you angry, I think that a response could be to do something productive that doesn't necessarily mean a confrontation. Right. Yep, and it, it could mean a confrontation, but it absolutely could mean something else, right? It could, I mean, that, there's, you know, I, I see amongst our guest lists some artists, so I wanna throw out that I am certain there are examples of, of, of artists who are inspired to create things by their anger. And I would actually love to have some conversations about that at times, because I don't have a ton of examples myself, but I'm certain that there are poets out there who, who have created poetry out of their anger. I mean, there, there's all sorts of ways that we can sort of channel this into into things that aren't, uh, maybe I'm probably doing a disservice in some ways because maybe some of that art is intended to be confrontational, um, which is great, um, but it doesn't necessarily <laughs> have to be. I think that's important. That is awesome. I should say, do you have any other thing that I didn't ask you about that you wanted uh, to share before we uh, dive into some pet peeves? Um, no, I just, Thanks for all the support, I think, for you and from, from uh, a lot of other people at UW Green Bay and elsewhere. Um, I, this has really been, writing this was uh, one of those sort of life bucket list career goal things. And I'm really, really happy um, to, to have had the chance to, uh, to write it. And I'm thankful for all the people who supported me along the way. And I agree. And, and it came out at the perfect time. You know what I mean? Like, I, I really, I feel like uh, the book and thinking about positive change um, uh, coupled with anger uh, was a, it was a perfect uh, book drop. So thank you for adding that to my reading list in January so that I could think about ways. And uh, for those of you who haven't read the book yet, you should definitely get it. Uh, but there are activities in the book that have been really helpful for me uh, to think about uh, ways in which um, I can use my anger in a positive way and, and how to manage anger as well. You know, it's not necessarily always uh, in that, that way. So uh, it is really helpful in that way as well. So thank you for that. So we have over the last couple of days been asking on our social media site uh, for people to share their pet peeves. And pet peeves are kind of like um, low grade angry incidences maybe, um, you know, like, uh, uh, that's what I, I think uh, we kind of in, intended. And we got a full range of different types of um, pet peeves. And so I took a couple of them and grouped them together because we got um, a couple of the same kinds of things. And so I'm, I'm wondering if you could give us some thoughts or um, some ways to think about um, uh, pet peeves or anger that comes from an interaction with another person um, where either that person is being rude to you or they are not valuing your point of view or they're dismissing you um, while you're having um, a, a conversation. And I'll give you just um, one example of this was um, one person said, um, that they have a friend that they talk to who talks incessantly about a TV show, 
that they know she hates and they just talk about it all the time. And then when she starts trying to say something about her cool show, the person's like, no, that show's stupid and moves on. So um, what about those kinds of like pet peeve interactions? Yeah, you know, I I think so. I define pet peeves just as you do as sort of like these relatively mild irritations, right? These things that, you know, are are relatively mild, but they just get to you. And maybe they get to you even worse than they should or more than they should um, based on sort of the the actual consequences of them, right? So um, the example that I used uh, for me is, and I'll be the first to admit, this is sort of a dumb thing to care about, but um, some people, they, um, they pronounce my last name with like a soft T. And so it's, it comes out as Ryan Martin um, instead of Martin, right? And, um, and it, it, I have no idea why it bugs me, but it bugs me. Um, and so it's just, it's one of those things. But I was, so I was actually thinking about this in terms of these things. Um, I think there's ultimately with pet peeves, they really kind of fall into the same three categories which are sort of of types of provocations that people deal with, right? So the, the three things that I like to talk about, one is um, uh, injustice or unfairness. Um, one is um, like poor treatment or disrespect. And then the third is goal blocking, something interfering in your, um, in your day-to-day life, right? And, you know, as I've been looking at this list, I've been sort of categorizing them in those things, but, but also recognizing like, I guess if I was to put my own example, the the soft T thing, I think it'd probably be like a, a mistreatment or not treated very kindly or whatever. It's sort of like, well, people should know how to pronounce my name and you know that, that sort of thing. But again, really, really minor. The real point is that it, it makes me angrier than it probably should um, in that sense. Um, but I've been looking at a lot of the examples too that people put, I think the example you provide, by the way, the TV show, really good example of just the, the mistreatment piece, right? I mean, it's just, it's, it's unkind, right? It's, it's not very nice to, to talk to someone about something that they don't like and then to ignore them when they, right? Um, I've been looking through other examples too, most recently when, when people squeeze the toothpaste from the middle, uh, this person says, please just squeeze from the bottom end, right? So that's a that's sort of a probably a goal blocking sort of thing. It's like it makes it harder for me to use uh, toothpaste uh, when you do that. So, what are some other examples that we've got? Um, well, there were uh, quite a few driving related uh, pet peeves. What's up with driving and anger? Yeah, it's it's the perfect scenario, right? I mean, if you were if you wanted to create a situation that made people mad, it would look like driving, and and you know the. One is for the reasons we just described, one is that goal blocking piece. I mean, almost by definition, you are on your way somewhere. Uh, yeah, people who chew gum really loudly is another one. Sorry, that comment just came up and I had to say it. Um, but if you were, by definition, you're on your way somewhere when you're driving. And so anything that happens is interfering in your goals. And um, the, the, uh, the, um, so, so that ends up being like, there's all sorts of these little, little itty bitty hassles that happen um, that feel like they're interfering, right? Or there, there might be a fairness piece too. Why do you get to do that when I don't? Uh, also plays a role when you're driving. Why, you know, if everybody decided to, you know, to drive that speed, there, you know, there'd be accidents, whatever. Um, so there's some, there's some fairness stuff there. There's probably even some disrespect stuff there too about you know, the, the way you're treating me is, uh, is, is a, uh, disrespectful or you're, you're giving me the finger or whatever. So um, things like that. Kind of dangerous, like uh, yeah. driving is it dangerous. And so uh, sometimes like if somebody cuts you off, you're upset, but you're also like, wow, I could have just like crashed there. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. I think that that's also well, like makes it seem extreme. Well, and that is also, you know, when we, we talk about diagramming an angry incident, born into the fact that when you are driving, you are a little more anxious than you otherwise are. I mean, you, you would have to be, even if you don't realize it, it's a dangerous activity, even when everything's going well. And so that anxiety, that stress is there, and it, it just makes you more likely to snap the same way being hungry or tired makes you more likely to snap. Absolutely. There were also some um, pet peeves 
that I put into like um, a personal morality or um, a values difference, like um, people who like cheat or yes. lie um, or uh, a couple of, and, and even like mask wearing, I would say it's like somewhat related to our, our personal code of ethics or morality. Um, what's up with that? That, that came up on my list quite a bit too. Um, I think that, so there's two ways that you can think about some of these. One is just the, the justice piece. Um, societies are supposed to have rules and how dare you not follow those rules. Um, and I think what people are really uh, are ultimately saying in those moments. And I think um, the other way, what the, the word we use to describe this or the phrase a lot of psychologists use to describe these are other directed shoulds, right? It's this sense of other people should behave this way. Um, and that is, um, it actually comes back to the gum example that showed up in our, our thread here, this idea of people who chew their gum too loudly, there's a sense of other people should do things a particular way, right? That is, and, and that is, I think, a source of a great deal uh, of anger um, is this idea that, that people should behave. You know, I, I use the example in the book of, of the, the, over the summer, the airline, the flight situation where the woman put her seat back and the guy behind her got all angry. There's a lot of other directed shoulds in that story, right? This, this guy essentially saying other people shouldn't put their seat back. Um, and, and I think that really drives a lot of anger, just as you know, the opposite of that, the self-directed shoulds um, drives a lot of either anger at yourself or a lot of sadness, a lot of disappointment in yourself and so on. So what to do about that? When, is there a way to redirect your um, other focused shoulds uh, in a more positive way? Yeah, so I think there's, Two, two things that I would encourage people to think about, especially when it comes to pet peeves um, that, are, that are, are about other directed shoulds. One is to ask yourself, honestly, to the best that you can, is this, is this a real rule or is this my rule? Um, and that's, you know, I, I'm going to use the, the driving example once again, because the, the speed you go on the highway Right now, there's a speed limit on the highway, and very, very, very few people follow it, but it, it exists. Um, but most, when you ask people, and I've done this, when you ask people, how fast should you go on the highway? The answers vary. The answers are anywhere from the speed limit, from a handful of people, to 10, maybe even 15 miles per hour over is okay. So what that means is that we're all operating under different rules, right? We're, and so if I'm driving what I think is the right amount, which is nine over, uh, then the person who <laughs> comes up behind me, um, I might think, well, that person is a hazard, right? They're driving way too fast. The person I come up who's driving in front of me too, too slow is driving too slow. And even though we're all, you know, this is a rule I essentially made up, right? And all of us are breaking the actual rule. So I think that when it comes to these other directed shoulds, that's a place to start is who, who, who made this rule? Is it real or did I make it? Um, I think that's one piece. The other piece is just to ask whether or not the consequences of their violating it are significant enough to warrant the kind of frustration you're feeling. Um, and, and that is a, another yeah. fair question too. And I think, you know, mask wearing is one of my, my pet peeves too. It's more than that, but, but part of that is because I feel like the consequences of not following it are pretty severe. Um, and so I, you know, that's one of the reasons why I, I get as angry as I do when I see it happening. Yep. And I see that also in the, in the chat, there's um, like standing six feet away uh, from another person, like at the grocery store and things like that are, are similar kinds of things. And I think, um, I, I think we have all in different circumstances been dealing with that during this pandemic and, um, and I think, I think I've learned a lot about myself in those circumstances and how I choose to um, express my anger in that way. Like rather than just making a scene, I could just move. Right. <laughs> you you know? know, 
And, and one of the things I've been thinking about with some of these examples too, it's not just, so this is an example of a, of a complicated rule, right? The six feet away is, it's, a, it's certainly a guideline we've been hearing quite a bit. But I also think there's been a lot of mixed messaging surrounding that guideline. And I think there's been a lot of, so while some of us see it as a hard and fast rule, others people see it as an unnecessary inconvenience. And it's very much based on the, uh, you may have just heard my dog barking. Um, it's very much based on the, uh, on kind of where we get our media, who we're listening to and so on. And so th this, sometimes these rules aren't just, sometimes these rules are complicated. Absolutely. Um, do you have one more pet peeve that you had on your list that you wanted to um, address before we close it out today? I am going to see. Uh, <laughs> this is a good one. Clothes on pets. This person doesn't like clothes on pets. <laughs> they also said the misuse of Latin abbreviations. They don't like it when people say uh, ECT instead of ETC. So um, I think... <laughs> It's hard for me to explain the clothes on pets one. Uh, I, I mean, this is probably falls into that other directed shoulds category, right? Other people shouldn't put their clothes on, or put clothes on pets, not their clothes. They're probably not putting their own clothes on their pets. I think it's also like people feel like it's an injustice to the pet. Yep, I can see that. Huh. They don't want, I remember once seeing a dog wearing boots and uh, my brother saying, does that dog need those boots? Like, is it, is that, does, is the dog wearing boots for their own well-being or is it just the person wants them to wear boots? And I honestly, I, I suspect sometimes dogs do need to wear boots. I, I can't answer that question. <laughs> I can't either. Maybe. <laughs> See, somebody, uh, Kelsey just said, sometimes it protects their paws. And so, you know, maybe this dog needed boots. Well, that, yeah. there you go. From salt and well, snow. <laughs> Well, I think that that is a great note to end on. Um, before we, we close it out, though, I wanted uh, you to tell our listeners um, where can they get a copy of the book? Where can they learn more about you? Where can they watch their TED Talk? What's going on? Give, a, give them some uh, shout out. All right. So thank you for holding up the book. The book is called Why We Get Mad, How to Use Your Anger for Positive Change. Um, it is available pretty much wherever you buy books locally. It's at Lion's Mouth, who I, I had, this was a, like a real, real, real joy. I did a live reading at Lion's Mouth Bookstore. Um, wonderful people over there. And I was, it was my first live reading since elementary school, right? You know, so uh, that, was, that was really fun. Um, it's also at Barnes and Noble or, or anywhere else you, you get books online and, and whatnot. So um, the, uh, you can find out more about me or anything else that I'm up to. I changed my Twitter handle over the, uh, over the break. So it's no longer Rye Mart, which it used to be. It's Anger Professor. So you can find me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, yep. uh, all those places. So, um, and you can learn more about the, where to get the book there or ask me questions or anything like that. I'm happy, happy, happy to do that. You can also go there to see my, my Ted talk is there. It's also just on Ted's website. It's also called why we get mad. Um, two, one other thing I just want to tell people about, this is really exciting and sort of uh, breaking news related to, to this is that um, I'm, I'm doing a talk from the Widener center streamed um, uh, on February 10th at 6.30, a very short talk uh, streamed to the Widener Center's YouTube channel, um, and then followed by a Q&A with Chuck Ryback. This is part of a new series that uh, our college is putting on called No Reservations, which is meant to both signify that you anyone can come, you don't need reservations, but also we're going to uh, we're not going to hold anything back, right? So we're going to have tough conversations. So um, it's, we're really excited about it. Shout out to everybody at the Widener. It's going to be fun, but, um, we're just in the process of, uh, of putting that forward. By the way, the name is, I can't take credit for the name. The, the name is Chuck's. This is a, a project from Chuck Ryback, the Dean of our college. So, um, but, cool. um, so not just that event, but there's going to be three later speakers, John Shelton, Kim Riley, Michelle McQuaid Dewhurst, um, scholars talking about big, important things. We hope the series continues. That is awesome. Well, I think that that wraps up. I wanted to say a, a 
huge thank you to everyone who's attending today, either on Zoom or on Facebook Live. Wow, how uh, awesome to have you all here. And please do engage with us, uh, like us at Psych and Stuff uh, on all of the social media channels. Uh, and we are so looking forward to our new season and uh, to working with Kelsey, our new intern. It's going to be a great um, half a year or so. Let's tell them about the 100th episode, though, because we oh. that'll that'll come out after that'll that live episode will be right. So this is our 99th episode that we're recording right now. But on and this drops on the fourth, but on the eighth we are recording another live episode with um, basically a bunch of psychology and stuff all-stars. So um, it's gonna be a whole team of people. They're gonna come in, they're each gonna talk for about five or 10 minutes about one thing, same format, we'll do it live via, via Zoom and, um, uh, and via Facebook. So you can, we'll get that event posted very soon on the Facebook page for Psych and Stuff, but definitely come check that out because it's Jason Cowell, Brian Carr, um, uh, Chris Vespia, Chris Smith, all the people that you know and love from episodes of Psych and Stuff. So it's going to be really great. I think Regan's going to be there. He was tentative in the thing. So oh. Regan, Regan Garung. I'm just going to say Regan Garung. So Then he'll um, have to come. <laughs> right. I will hold up a picture of Regan and I will tell you what he would have said. So, um, Can you believe it's been a hundred episodes? Kudos no. to you. Wow just spreading the love of psychology and stuff around the world. So I think it's been great. Cool. This is so much fun. So, um, hey, Kelsey, come back and say hi to everybody. And thank you so much for your work. Thank so, you for having me. Let me be part of this team. Yeah, uh, thanks for being part of the team. Once again, you can see her work at Psych and Stuff in all of the different places. G, what's your handle on Twitter? It's G-E-O-R-J-E-A-N-N-A-W-D. Fina WD. Wonderful. Thanks, everybody. Psychology and Stuff is a production of Phoenix Studios at the University of Wisconsin Green Bay. The executive producer is me, Ryan Martin, and the production manager is Kate Farley. Our audio production coordinator is Bill Salick. Our sound engineer for this episode is Sarah Miller. Our graphic designer is Kimberly Bruce, and our intern is Kelsey Engelhardt. If you haven't already, please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. You can also head over to our website, uwgb.edu slash podcast to check out past episodes of this and all our shows. I'm your host, Ryan Martin, and I'm here with my co-host, Georgina Wilson-Dungas, and our intern, Kelsey. Keep being amazing. Mm -hmm.